The series Squandering the Scepter. I want you to think with me for just a little bit about the idea of what God expects out of us. He expects us, each of us, to live up to our greatest potential. He expects me to give everything I can to be the best version of myself I can be. Some of us recognize that we will never be able to be as talented or as capable as some others. It's always intimidating to have a man like Brother B.J. Clark hold a meeting and then the next Sunday you know you've got to be the one who steps in the pulpit and when you have that kind of comparison it's very difficult. However, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't do the very best that I possibly can with what I have been given. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, Solomon writes, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. Put your effort into it. Give it all that you have. You are expected to be the best that you possibly can be. However, sometimes we're like the one talent man who will take what God has given us and simply hide it and rather than using it. In Matthew 25, verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Verse 25, And he said, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. God will not be happy with us if we don't put everything that we can and live to our best potential with what God has given us. You want to find some good examples? Saul, David, and Solomon were men who failed as kings. Well, in order to appreciate this, I want you to back up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. You can open your Bible there. We're not going to read all the verses. But I want you to consider with me the events leading up to the kings. The last of the judges was Samuel. You read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now pause. It wasn't God's plan. God himself raised up judges, but Samuel had chosen to make his son judges. And we learn in verse 3, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, perverted justice, you see, they're not what they ought to be. We go down to verse 5, and the people say, Look, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The prospects for the leadership of the children of Israel wasn't very bright. You had Samuel who was getting old. You had his sons who were trying to be judges, and they weren't very good at it. In fact, they were very bad at it. And then you have the people asking for a king. You go to the next few verses from verses 9 through 20. And God is going to allow a king to be appointed. He tells Samuel, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Sometimes we have this utopian idea that everything's going to be perfect. You know, we elect a president, or we elect a governor, 
or we elect someone else and we think, oh, they're going to be the best thing that has ever been. And we find out they're real people. And we find out they, they make the same kind of mistakes that everyone else makes. And when you start looking at what Samuel was going to show them, was that these kings here, you think you want a king, but he's going to take your sons and he's going to make them a part of his army. He's going to take your fields. He's going to take your crops. He's going to tax you to be able to provide for himself. Oh, there's more to it than you really realize. Their choice to ask for a king rather than God was such a poor choice. Well, the term scepter, squandering the scepter. The scepter was a symbol of authority and power. Yes, it was a stick. It was a rod. It was a staff. Most often it was overlaid with gold and it would have sometimes a jewel on the end. But it was a symbol of their power. If you're reading the book of Esther, chapters 4 and 5, you'll remember that Esther's husband, the king, it is said in the latter part of verse 1 or about the, or verse 11, the middle part of it, it says, except to one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. In other words, if you wanted to come to the king's presence, the only way is for him to extend the scepter toward you. Say so it's all right to come. Chapter 5, verse 2, he extended the golden scepter to Esther. Brother Cain read to us just a few moments ago from the book of Psalms, chapter 45 and verse 6, where the looking forward to the coming of the only good, true king, and that was Jesus, and the scepter of his kingdom was a scepter of righteousness. In other words, he was always going to do good and right. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 19 and chapter 21, there's a picture there of the fall of the scepter. The fact that God took the rulership down. He said, um, this is a lamentation. Chapter 19, verse 14. Chapter 21, verse 10. He says, it despises the scepter of my son as it does all wood. Chapter 21, verse 13. Because it is a testing. And what the sword despises, even the scepter, the scepter shall be no more, says the Lord God. There will be no more rulership. And so if a person is given the scepter, they're given the authority to rule. Saul, David, and Solomon were each given the privilege of ruling God's people. But each of them squandered the opportunity that they had. Could they have been great leaders of God's people? Sure they could. God gave them everything they needed to lead. But just like the book of Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20 says, he said, all in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. That makes you think about the five foolish virgins who didn't prepare. They burned up what they had. Here you have Saul, David, and Solomon. God gave them all they needed. What did they do with it? They squandered it on various things. Well, let's look at what we want to talk about in our lesson tonight. We want to talk about Saul and we want to talk about the potential that he had. Sometimes we look at Saul and we only see the bad that he did, but you have to step back and say, 
Was he a good man chosen by God to do a good thing? Well, sure he was. But second of all, we want to look at the pitfalls, the traps, if you will, that Satan puts before everyone. And what is he going to do? Will he give in to these? Then number three, here's where we apply the lesson, the parallels. Oh, I can see the mistakes of Saul. I can see the mistakes of David. And I can certainly see the mistakes of Solomon. But can I see them in myself? Let's begin, first of all, with the potential. Here's a man with ability and humility. Now, you think about that for just a moment. Ability with humility. Well, I think about some of these great football players or these great basketball players or baseball players. And you ask them, who are you? What kind of player? Well, I'm the best man that ever walked on the face of the earth. I'm the most talented basketball player. Oh, really? No humility there. But if you go to chapter 9 and verse 2, talks about Kish's son. He says he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of his people. This man is tall, dark, and handsome, if you want to put it that way. But when you look at his view of himself, chapter 9, verse 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? Of the smallest tribes of Israel? And my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you speak to me like this? Who am I? Oh, here's a man who's tall, who is handsome, who's talented, who has ability. But this man has humility. Why do I get this position? But he's also a man of dependability. And what I mean by that is he's the kind of person that his father could look at him and say, Saul, I've got a job I need you to do, and know that he would do it and do it well. In chapter 9 and verse 5, or verse 3 and then verse 5, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go look for the donkeys. What you have here is he says, okay, there's, there's lost donkeys. Well, Saul, you can handle that. I can depend upon you. When you get to verse 5, they've not found the donkeys. And he reasons very well. He says, come let us return lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. He was a dependable young man, able to reason well. But now here's the third thing, is his profit ability. There's a play on words there. You think about somebody trying to make money. We use the word P-R-O-F-I-T, profit ability. But here we're talking about the prophet of God, someone who speaks for God And there's a very well-written section in chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You're going to be endowed with the Spirit of God. 
You're going to be a prophet. You're going to be able to speak and people be able to listen to a man speak from God. And what that's going to do to you, Saul, it's going to turn you into another person. You're going to go from being this lowly person of the tribe of Benjamin to being a prophet for God. Now, I think about Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Do you remember what God asked Moses? What is in your hand? Well, it's a rod. Cast it down. What's it going to do? It's going to become a serpent. You pick it up again, and it becomes a rod. You know what that rod is? That's like a scepter. It's a ruling staff. Saul, what is in your hand? Well, I've got ability. I've got humility, dependability, and even profitability. Aha. You have potential for the Lord. You can be a great king. But Saul found himself facing seven pitfalls, seven great challenges to being a good king. First one was impatience. I want you to go with me to chapter 10. We're going to, in fact, just start with chapter 10 and, and follow through the text. So you're going to be able to just flip just page to page in your Bible. Chapter 10 and verse 8, he tells him, You shall go down, Samuel says, to Gilgal. And surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and to make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, that's not real difficult to understand. Go to Gilgal, wait on me. Wait seven days, I'll be there. When I get there, we're, I'm going to offer these sacrifices and I'm going to show you what you're going to do. You drop down to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13. Saul's at Gilgal. All of his uh, entourage is there with him. He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, And he offered the burnt offerings. You know what happens right after he does that? Samuel arrives. Saul, what are you doing? Saul, you're from the tribe of Benjamin. You have no right to offer these offerings. Saul, what? Well, the people are scattering from me. You know your problem, Saul? You're impatient. You're not waiting to see what God told you to do. Here's a problem. Sometimes we get frustrated with evil. And sometimes we become impatient. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Give God His time. Do things 
in the way that God has told you to do. Second thing was foolish oaths. You start saying things without thinking through what you're saying. In fact, you start making oaths and you expect everybody to live up to them when you haven't thought through about what's going to happen. Get to chapter 14 and verses 24 through 30. And we read, it says, the men of Israel were distressed that day for Saul had placed a, on the people under oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I've taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. You know what goes on to happen? Jonathan. Jonathan has been working hard to try to bring a deliverance. Jonathan knows nothing about his father's oath. He comes and he sees that honey, takes some of it, and boy, that sugar just brightened his eyes. You know what Saul says? Whoever did that is going to die. Even if it's my son Jonathan, he's going to die. Poor old Saul, he didn't think about what might be needed by his men. Saul didn't think about the possibility of someone doing so without knowing. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We would be much better off if we were slow to speak and slow to wrath. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 and 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Verse 5, better not to vow than vow and not to pay. If you're going to make a promise, if you're going to make a vow, think about what you're saying before you say it. The third thing that you see in the life of Saul was rebellion. Perhaps there's no more notable passage known about Saul than what's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 3 we read, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. You drop down to verse 7. So Saul attacked the Amalekites, from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is the east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. But he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs. Okay, you start getting the picture. God said, go utterly destroy and Samuel comes and said, Saul, what's going on? He says, I performed the word of the Lord. Really? What's the lowing of the oxen that I hear in my ear? Well, the people, no, Saul, you are the leader of God's people. You carry the scepter. You have rebelled against God. Do you understand the significance of that rebellion? And why do people rebel? It's because they don't like the instructions. 
They think they know better. They think they know more. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. See, the truth is, partial obedience is no obedience at all. As James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of all. So I don't understand that. Brother B.J. illustrated it excellent this last week in a lesson by pointing out that if a man does what God says to do the first time and the second time, but he doesn't do it the third time, he's not obeyed at all because the only thing he did was whenever God agreed with him, he did it. When God didn't agree with him, he didn't do it. And that's a situation here with Saul. It's rebellion. But he also was guilty of cowardice. He was a coward. If you'll remember in chapter 17, they're in the valley of Elah, the children of Israel on this side, the camp of the Philistines on the other. We read in verses 10 and 11, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of the living God, or the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We drop down to verse 32. David said, Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, here's the comparison you need to make. You remember how tall Saul is? Head and shoulders above everybody else. If there's anybody he needed to go, it should have been Saul. He's the leader of God's people. Do you remember when David put on Saul's army? It dwarfed him. David wasn't nearly the size of Saul. See, the difference between the two, David believed that God would deliver him. He said, your servant killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. David said, I'll go. Saul was afraid to go. He was a coward. Luke 12, 4 and 5, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body after they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has a power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. God is the one with whom we should have our fear. David then was challenged with jealousy. It's very apparent after David slays the Goliath, the, this great uh, leader of the Philistines, this great soldier of the Philistines, in chapter 18, that the people are going to respond to that. In verses 6 through 8, this happens they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of all the cities singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed David ten thousands, but to me they've only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul now is jealous. David conquered Goliath, but he's getting the accolades and Saul's not. Well, Saul, you were a coward. You didn't deserve it. 
But Saul now is jealous of David. Proverbs 27 and verse 4, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? Anger and wrath. You can have somebody have deep-seated hard feelings. You can have somebody blow up. But he says, that's nothing compared to a man who's jealous. What that did, that brought on hatred and murder. The hatred can easily be seen in chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all of his servants, they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. He tells David about him, and even Michael warns his wife, Dad's going to kill you. Why does he want to kill David? He's jealous. He hates him. But then you ask the question, well, how bad did he hate him? You go further into chapter 22, and I think you can see. David goes to the priest Ahimelech, and he asks for bread, and Ahimelech gives him bread. Chapter 22, verse 13, Then Saul said to him, that is to Ahimelech, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? In that you have given him bread and a sword, now listen, and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me lying wait as it is this day. Ahimelech, why did you go to God on David's behalf? You want to see real hatred? You want to see real anger towards somebody? If you can't pray good for them, you've got real problems. Saul not only couldn't pray for David's good, he didn't want anybody else praying for David's good either. Drop on down to verse 16. The king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. He's going to kill everybody. You give David bread, you pray for David, I'm going to take your life. That's a man who's lost his way. Then witchcraft. As you get very near the end of Saul's life, Saul wants God to tell him the direction to go. He's pushed God away. He said, no, I don't want to listen to God. And now he wants a message. In chapter 28, verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium and indoor. Here's the man who commanded all the witches, all the mediums, all the spirits to be killed. But now what's he going to do? He himself is going to go and consult one. He's going to say, I need you to tell me what to do. First Chronicles chapter 10 verse 13. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he committed 
against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and because he consulted a medium for guidance. He consulted a medium for guidance. Now here I am. I see a man with such potential. And yet what does he do when the temptations arise? He gives in to them. Now, here's where we apply this very quickly. We're all susceptible to pitfalls. Every one of us. There's none of us who don't face some sort of temptation. And here is what Paul wrote the Corinthians. Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Do you mean in every one of those seven instances that Saul gave in that yes, he had the ability to resist? He did. What does that mean about you and I? God gave us a life. God put us in a wonderful place. God gave us ability. But God allows us to be tempted. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to squander the opportunities that God has given you? Or are you going to give in to the devil? Many of Saul's challenges, and it's like our own, relate to the view of ourself. When Saul was humble. When Saul saw himself as he really was, he had potential. It's only when he became arrogant, proud that he was no longer capable of serving God acceptably. For I say through the grace given to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Everybody look at yourself, look what God has given you, Use what God has given you, but don't become arrogant with it. Matthew 23, 12. <clears throat> and whoever humbles himself, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. <clears throat> One must learn to wait for God and follow his plan. I look at Saul and I see Saul having the potentials to start out right. Wait on Samuel. Do what God told him to do. I see a man who was told, go utterly destroy the Amalekites. <coughs> what is he going to do? Proverbs 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Do not say, I'll recompense evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. Here's a man who had so much promise, so much potential, but he squandered it by letting his ego get out of control. In order for God to use me, in order for God to use you, we've got to humble ourselves and say, Lord, you tell me what you want me to do. You open his word, you read his Bible, and you'll find out. And what God wants is full and complete obedience. Will I stumble? Yes. Will you stumble? Yes. But there is a plan given by God. 
for each of us. If we're not a Christian, if we believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, willing to repent of those sins that we've committed and be immersed, be baptized for the remission of our sins, God will add us to his body, the church, and at that point, then we have the ability, the potential to be what God wants us to be. If you're a Christian, and you're looking at your life and you say, you know what? I look and I see there's so many parallels between me and Saul. Don't be like Saul to resist, to rebel, to say, I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to please God with my life. Would you come as together we stand and sing just as I am?